0: This is New York firefighter Raphael Porriette for Firehouse Subs. Every day, a part of every sub you buy at Firehouse Subs helps provide life-saving equipment for first responders. And now, for a limited time, they're introducing the daily sub special. Every day, get a medium sub of the day for just $5.55. They kick it off with Meatball Monday and finish it off with Italian Sunday with something delicious every day in between for just $5.55. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Tap the banner now to learn more.
1: Blog
2: Talk Radio Good morning everyone, this is Johnny Tan, author of From My Mama's Kitchen, Food for the Soul, Recipes for the Living. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio Show. My guest for this morning is Dr. Leona Stuckey. She is the author of The Fork of Truth, Surviving My Impotent God, her recently released spiritual memoir. A minister and psychotherapist for more than 30 years, Dr. Leona became an author by turning the mirror inward to reveal her own personal story of severe domestic abuse and surviving it. Dr. Leone graduated summa cum laude in psychology and philosophy from Boston College, received a Master's of Arts from Eden Theological Seminary, and a Doctor of Ministry in Pastoral Counseling from Southern University with honors. And she has a Diplomat Certificate from the American Association of Pastoral Counselors, their highest credential for teaching, supervising, and offering therapy services. She currently has a standing as a Unitarian Universalist Community Minister. Dr. Leona Stuckey and I will be having a conversation about her life's journey and how the power of faith, hope, and love can overcome many life's challenges that will eventually lead you to become your best self. Good morning, Dr. Leona. Happy 2018 to you and welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. How are you doing this morning?
3: Oh, Johnny, thank you so much. (laughs) This is so kind of you, and I so appreciate being here with you on your program. I'm doing great. I'm doing great this morning, and uh, it's a lovely day in Santa Fe.
2: Wonderful. It is a pleasure to have you on the air with me. The Falk of Truth is a compelling read. It is a difficult read in a way, but needless to say, it is a must-read book. It's a wonderful, wonderful book. Congratulations for the courage to write and share your story.
3: Oh, thanks. Yep, I have to say it took every ounce of courage that I have. <laughs> it was a tough one to write. It took me 12 years, and um, and really, in many ways, it took a lifetime because <laughs> I had to digest everything. But it's, um, I I think it's really, it it captivates. It captivated me Mm. while I was writing it. I think it captivates readers while they read it.
2: Let us start by getting to know you a little better. Please give us a quick walkthrough of your life from childhood to the present moment.
3: Okay. Well, I'm going (laughs) to say, Johnny, (laughs) I don't. I don't know if it's even possible to do a quick one. (laughs)
1: Um,
3: I'll do the best I can and just kind of glean over some things because it Mm -hmm. could take a full hour to do that easily. Um, I would say one of my blessings was that I was raised in a loving family, and I have so much gratitude for... The way in which my parents and my community um, honored being loving and and um, faithful in their way and um, um, just giving to family life I guess I could say Mm -hmm. Um, I had um, lots of humor that went with the hard work that we had on the farm I grew up in Kansas on a farm and um, and we grew up as Mennonites, so hard work was almost a religious theme for us. Mm-hmm. And our humor was based in all the mistakes that we made, or you know, the little accidents that happened, spilling a bowl of jelly on our lap, or you know, and everybody would mm-hmm. just break up laughing, and we kept making mistakes. So quickly that we laughed a whole lot <laughs> in our family: <laughs> So I have this sense of of being treated to a lot of humor, rather um, um, what would the word be, a humor that's very raw and real.
2: As a small As a, community, in a way, is very close-knit though, everybody's family.
3: <laughs> right, right. It is very close-knit. And a lot of um, my world was my fam- my extended family, because everybody's a cousin or a second cousin or something like that in, in my mm-hmm. community. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the difficulties in my life was that my mother had MS. It was mm-hmm. very trying um, in our little world to have MS, and um, it took her down in the most ferocious ways. Um, And then as I became a teenager, um, one of the central things that I wrote about in the book was the trauma that I had with my boyfriend. And because Mm -hmm. I couldn't leave him because he threatened to kill me and my family if I tried, and he made it clear that he could do it, um, I wound up having to marry him experienced tremendous shame because i was pregnant before i got married um and then i had to deal with his continued violence and um so some of the book is about my the ways of escaping and then having to reescape and re-escape because he would keep catching me um and then finally you know going to college you mentioned uh graduate mm-hmm. school et cetera. Raised a family, got remarried, and did thirty, 30 years over thirty years of um, a psychotherapy practice, pastoral counseling and um, and have been uh, a minister in the um, Unitarian Universalist church, or religion, I guess I should say. it's not mm-hmm. really a church. Um, and I absolutely love Santa Fe where I live. I love landscapes and um, going on walks or hikes and and just being in nature is very soothing to me. So I guess that's what I want to say up to this point.
2: <laughs> what do you
3: think? What am I missing, Johnny?
2: <laughs> I thought you covered it very, very well. It is about giving people a sprinkle of your life. Yeah yeah from childhood to right now, and that's wonderfully put, going back to the community, hmm. the Mennonites community, I guess in a way close and reserved community, I think people sometimes out of curiosity, we want to know is it any different than how we live outside the community, so to speak
3: Well, it is a little different um. Mm-hmm. For for me, it was a rural experience also, which Mm -hmm. I think it makes it uh, even tighter than growing up Mennonite in a more cosmopolitan place, because Mennonite was the only thing that I knew, basically. Um, And we have a very strong belief in nonviolence. And that may be one of the central motifs that sets us apart. As well as in simplicity and um and in being apart from the world, the aspects of the world that are not um biblical biblically mm-hmm. based, and so um, we were what you might think of as liberal Mennonites in terms of uh we weren't Amish and we weren't um you know we didn't drive horse and buggy. we had some of the eases of the world mm-hmm. but um but our beliefs were very strong, at least in my family and um god the the God that we believed in was an active God who helped people who honored self discipline and suffering for faith and um and everything our lens. The lens that I had anyway as I was growing up was the mm-hmm. lens of seeing everything through the eyes of faith. And that's one reason why I, call, I called my book The Fog of Faith, because mm-hmm. that lens can become very foggy, <laughs> and it's <laughs> very difficult to understand what is it really that god's action in your own life is telling you, mm-hmm, and how do mm-hmm. you interpret that you know through that lens what's happening because that was the aim was always to try to see what how your relationship with God was informing your life and um, the belief in nonviolence was as I said, it was a strong belief, and it meant that you could grow up with an extra sense of fear. Now, I have to say we didn't have much fear because we lived in a nonviolent world as far as mm-hmm. we were concerned. It was Mennonite. It was, you know, everybody was nice, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but we knew as we were growing up that if somebody came to our house to hurt us, mm-hmm. um Our parents would not interfere because you know we were supposed to um, not turn evil for evil give not evil for evil or we were supposed to turn the other cheek we were supposed to um, love those who hate us or persecute us and Mm -hmm. love our as we love ourselves and our neighbors as we love ourselves And our neighbors were the whole world. So those those duties were profoundly impressed upon us.
2: Has that ideology or spiritual beliefs changed since then?
3: For me, you mean?
2: For the community.
3: No, the community has, um, since I grew up on the farm, as I look back at it now, I think they've become a lot more cosmopolitan. They know a lot more about the world than I did. Mm -hmm. And some Mm -hmm. of that is TV, radio, um, mobility. Um, People travel a lot more. We didn't hardly travel at all. Mm -hmm. So people's ideas about the world are much more profound than they used to be and much more accepted than they used to be. Oh, yeah, I think it's changed quite a bit.
2: Very interesting. So why did you elect to befriend a non-Mennonite boy?
3: You know, I think in many ways that was the luck of the draw. (laughs) (laughs) I, you know, as a teenager, I was so excited about dating and, you know, you're supposed to be. Um, At least I thought I was supposed to be. Appealing and beautiful, and the kind of person that somebody would want to love, and um, and so I happened to go on a double date with a, a friend who introduced me to her her boyfriend's friend, mm-hmm. and um, and it kind of got started from there. I think in the back of my mind, I was also aware that mom and dad were second cousins, and that. I was related to just about everybody in my community, Mm -hmm. and so I think I had an awareness that I probably, you know, there was a good chance that I might need to get out of the community. I don't think that was a fully formed thought, but just an openness.
2: The reason why I asked that question is because in reading your story, it Uh brought me back to what my mom told me when she was growing up, even though it is not in a sort of a community as you have grown up. This was in Malaysia in the 40s and during World War II. She grew up in the farmland, basically. And she had told her mom that, don't ever marry me, anyone in the neighborhood or in the community, so to speak, the farming community, or I'll run away. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, she was looking beyond that 5, 10 miles or whatever you want to call it, the mental boundaries, so to speak. Right. And she wanted to venture out and do different things. And of course, in our situation during her time, when you talk about relationships, pretty much all the marriages were pre-arranged. And I would think uh-huh. within the community itself that you live in, that was kind of somewhat happened that way in a way, I would think.
3: Yeah, I mean, they weren't, they weren't pre arranged, but probably mm-hmm. parents certainly would try to influence your choices.
1: Right, right, right.
3: And, um, and it was kind of expected that you would find somebody, some Mennonite to marry. And I didn't do that very well. <laughs> <laughs> but I appreciate your mom's spirit, that must have taken a lot for her to be able to, you know, to say that to her mother.
2: Yes, she was fairly progressive for her times
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right. from
2: that perspective. What were your dreams and aspirations when you were a young teenager, 15, 16 years old?
3: You know, I think that um, I wanted to be a farmer Mm -hmm. and that meant being a farmer's wife. And it wasn't so much that I wanted that as it was just, in myself that I would be that. It just kind of was accepted. Mm -hmm. And I remember looking at old houses, you know, abandoned houses that maybe I would be able to buy someday and have some land. And uh, I could, you know, um, when I say houses, really more barns than houses, I really wanted to get a barn that i could transform into a house that was Mm -hmm. that was one dream and um the other dream was that i could become an acrobat and join a circus and that was in part because i had gone to a circus and the circus was the only place that i knew of that a woman could be fashionable and still be respected, even beyond fashionable. Um, almost, um, what's the word? Um, in the spotlight,
1: in mm-hmm. the spotlight, mm-hmm.
3: and still mm-hmm. be respected. And that was such. When I went to the circus, that was such a revelation to me that there was such a possibility that mm-hmm. a woman could be respected and you know, use her skills to earn a living. And, um, you know, the only thing that was modeled for me was to be a school teacher or a missionary, you know, or a nurse. And um, those were the three things that kind of floated back and forth. And I wasn't really interested in any of them. And, um, and I was so taken by the circus.
2: Very interesting. <laughs> well, your life certainly took a different trajectory afterwards. Looking yeah. back from that moment in time, how often did your decision were the result of looking through the lens of fear?
3: I think almost all the time for mm-hmm. the, you know, five or 10 years after that, I lived out of fear. I was terrorized a lot of the time and it meant that I had to confront fear yeah. over and over and over again just to keep living my life. And I, could, I, I I, didn't want to deny the fear. It was not really even possible to deny the fear because that would mean being more vulnerable than I would be with the fear. see mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah. So I had to be aware of it and have it influence a lot of my life. And yet it was something that I also, you know, you can't be aware of that 24-7 as your primary conscious mode because you have to think about what you're reading. You have to think about your next task. You have to, and so like many, many women, Uh, in particular who deal with domestic violence, um, you can't live your day and be defended. You know, you can't pick up your baby and burp them Mm -hmm. and be aware that at any moment you can be attacked. You just, you know, you just have to go on and try to be aware. Try to, particularly in the moments when you're most, vulnerable or most in danger to be hyper-aware, but it's a trade-off. It's a trade-off in your conscious life. I don't know if that answers the
2: question. Yes, it does. The reason why I ask that question is because we, at 14, 15, 16, we're at the age where we're saying hello to the world, like you were talking about, because Mm -hmm. this is like, gee, I'm out there. I'm wanting to look for what's out there. And obviously prior to that, if we were to look at life having two tracks and you talk about the discipline of growing up and looking through the lens of love, perhaps this is the first time you were introduced to the other side of the lens, the lens of fear.
3: Absolutely, Johnny, that is so perceptive. And, and you know, the anger and the fear, would go together in me. When I felt fear, anger would also rise up. And, um, and you're right, it was experiencing in such a profound contrast to my mm-hmm. earlier life, which was basically without fear, um, to live with constant fear.
2: How did you experience as a single mom being on welfare and living in public housing shape your thoughts for the future?
3: Oh, my goodness. That has had an enduring and powerful influence on my life. And one of the ways that that I have experienced that into the present moment is Mm -hmm. I get really angry when people demean poor people. Because I know how much stress and frustration there is in being poor. Um, And people like to pretend that when you're poor, you're lazy. Well, it's just the opposite. Mm
1: -hmm. When
3: you're poor, Mm -hmm. you work harder than anybody else you work harder and you have very few choices. 90% of your choices are removed a priori from your life. You know, you can't. That glass of wine that will ease your frustration over the day that you got ringed out from your boss, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you can't go out to eat because you're too tired to cook. You can't, you know, all of those choices are gone. And you're making choices like, you know, do I take my child to the doctor and pay the copay, or do I give my other child money for lunch mm-hmm. at school? And, you know, or any kind, but your choices are about life and death situations that come to grinding you every single day about the difficulties of just making your daily life work and those are difficult choices Mm -hmm. to make and often they have devastating consequences and I hope that is something that comes through in my book the way that Shame is so cruel to poor people and it's not right. It's not fair. And then I think about part of how lucky I was to have a public safety net. I mean, I could not have survived without welfare. Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. I was so fortunate to be able to go to college on top of that. And if I think about what that safety net met and it, it for me it was even better because i was able to go to college and it is entirely worth it mm-hmm. the way that my life changed because i was able to go to college meant that i have been able to be a contributing citizen in a way that i would never have been able to be if the public had not helped me survive.
2: So true. So, so true.
3: Safety net is just it's such a great blessing and something something that a smart society will reinforce and be happy to offer because people are worth it.
2: So true. By the way, you're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio, our podcast uh, available on Apple's iTunes Stitches Radio. Blueberry Podcasting, and Tune In Radio. I'm Johnny Tan, your host, and my guest is Dr. Leona Stuckey. She is the author of The Falk of Truth, Surviving My Important God, her recently released spiritual memoir. A minister and a psychotherapist for more than 30 years, Dr. Leona became an author by turning the mirror inward to reveal her own personal story of severe domestic abuse and surviving it. We are having a conversation about her life's journey and how the power of faith, hope, and love can overcome many life's challenges, eventually lead you to become your best self. Dr. Leona, why did you wrestle with God?
3: Well, in my experience, God proved to be a failure. Um, Woody Allen has a comment (laughs)
1: that he he
3: describes god as a underachieving god in in his jokes and i guess in some ways um that's what i experienced for you know in reality in my experience my god proved to mm-hmm. be a failure and that was a failure according to what i expected god to be and i had kind of a a classic uh judeo christian idea about who God was supposed to be, you know, God was somebody that helped you become better than you would otherwise be, and somebody who was loving and kind, and thought about the people of the world that needed help, and, you know, I was pretty versed in um, the Sermon on the Mount, and that's something Mm -hmm. that I still love, the Sermon on the Mount. (laughs) And that's the kind of God that I expected—a very active and um, I will help you in your life kind of God—and that's not the God that I found. And right. so I was not okay with that, and I decided that I better, I better start wrestling because that was not what I had learned in Sunday school and. That was not who I was okay with as a God is a God to be who was a failure. I was not at all okay with that.
2: It's interesting the way you put it in that context because in some ways, maybe perhaps based on the community that you came from or in so many ways I'm generalizing a lot of things sometimes. We're taught to know God as almost like a genie like person, whatever I want, I get it. And then, uh-huh. if I don't get it, then it's no good. But little uh-huh. did we know, there is, like you're talking about the Bible and so forth, there is free will as well. Hmm.
3: Hmm. Yeah. I mean, there we we certainly do sometimes make choices, mm-hmm. and um, and those choices impact how our our life proceeds. And right. sometimes we are freer than other times to make the choices that we really want to make correct but but we do we we have that sense of making choices and um, and you know we're responsible for what our beliefs are and what our expectations of God are Mm -hmm. Um, we're responsible for what we believe even though we none of us have answers. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We don't yeah. have yeah. certainty. So um so we have to make our best guess in many, many situations.
2: I completely understand where you're coming from because a lot of things I've experienced in life and say like, What the heck just happened to me? I'm asking for all these things and <laughs> The flip side of the equation. And I completely Mm. get it from that perspective. And that's the reason why I guess I'm asking from my perception of what happened and lives kind of mirrored each other in different ways. Don't get me wrong. The gravity of it is within one's shoe that one's hat on. But the concept, the perception of what God is, it's a little bit different. I mean, it's the same in the sense that, like I said, again, it's like what happened here? Something is not moving in the direction that meet my expectation of God Mm -hmm. if I'm doing everything right. Mm -hmm.
3: Right. Absolutely. And I, I think it's something that as human beings we face over and over again in our lives is that, our ideals disappoint us. What we think is going to be salvific. Actually we suffer with. It mm-hmm. disappoints us. And it may be that we think, you know, when we when we're growing up we think, Oh, if I only get my bicycle for Christmas, that's gonna be the <laughs> best thing ever and da 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 and we get it and, you know, five days later we've crashed, and we're so disappointed. And the same way when we're 30, and we finally get that promotion, and we, you know, we've craved it, we wanted it so bad. And it disappoints us. You know, a year mm-hmm. later, we wonder why on earth we ever wanted it. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, that's not the only experience, we may be totally grateful for it all. Sure. But, you know, those times come, and part of life is learning how to work through disappointments. But I want to say something else, Johnny, because I learned this Mm -hmm. later um, when I was looking into more, trying to understand spirituality more, and Mm -hmm. I started to think of faith kind of as a flower, you know, there's the, there's the beautiful petals. And sometimes we experience that we're walking in nature and there's just this sense of, of oneness and the feeling is incredible. And we love that beauty. And that I think is the very, it's, it's more of a peak experience of faith. And then there's the stem of the flower And the STEM, I think, is reason. And we find all of these reasons for the way that we think God is, and we find Mm -hmm. all of these reasons why that's not true, that -hmm. our perception is actually not accurate. And we look for evidence, and evidence is very tough. It's a tough lesson when it comes to faith because there's very little evidence to rely on, and um, at least as evidence that comes from proof. Mm -hmm. And so the stem, we're moving back and forth. And the roots of our faith are the unconscious part of our faith. And often the unconscious part is a lot more profound than we think. We don't know how profound it is. Mm-hmm. I remember one time talking to a young man who, um, who was, um, his wife was pregnant, they were going to have a child, and he, he talked about how he felt called to name that child, to give that child a biblical name, and he was going to name it David. And, um, and we talked about that a little bit, why he liked the, the name David. <laughs> and he, he said, you know, I, I have a feeling that if I don't name this child David, something terrible will happen. My mom will get cancer and die or, you know, some, some terrible thing is going to happen. And I realized as I listened to him that there was this incredible pull from the beauty of his face to name this child David. But there was also, from the roots, the hidden mm-hmm. roots of his faith, there was his God was cruel and abusive. His God would murder his mother if he didn't do the right thing. Mm -hmm. and so we often don't recognize what kind of God we are actually believing in and honoring because we don't go to the point of understanding the roots of our faith it's really we all have our own image of our own God and it's that that drives us and that motivates us in both wonderful and terrible ways. And once we were able to understand that his God was much less loving than he had anticipated and expected, then he could start working on what does he really believe. And what doesn't he believe?
2: So true. So when did grace appear into your life then?
3: I'm sorry, Johnny. I think I'm going off on these little tangents.
2: No, no, no. It's not harder. <laughs> it's wonderful. No, it's wonderful.
3: Um, wow. You know, that is that's a tough question. I think about that, and I think about the various ways in which... I experience grace. And I think some of the most visceral experiences for me is when I see a family member smile at me or a friend smile yeah. when I've told them something that makes me shudder. And through that smile comes this feeling of relief, it's almost like it's a wave that comes over me. And I really, I love that experience because I've had it, you know, it's one that I've had all through my life. I've had it Mm -hmm. in childhood. I've had it in different ways all the way through my life. And I think the times when I have felt like I've done something really grievous, you know, in my childhood, mm-hmm. I can think of times where I was almost terrified because I felt I'd done the wrong thing. And I wanted so much to be good for God, <laughs> you know.
1: Right, right.
3: right. Um And then I would have this sense that God loves me and um, grace would just feel really abundant and like I could let go of whatever it was that I did. And one of the experiences that I had, a very specific experience, Um, that was on kind of an ongoing high for me is Mm -hmm. one Mm -hmm. time my dad and I were both, we were riding on two different horses. I was on my horse and dad was on his. And I just remember having such a sense of the beauty of the earth, of the freedom of riding and, you know, letting not having to use my own strengths, really, to move myself forward, mm-hmm. and that felt like such grace to be doing that in concert with my dad, mm-hmm. um, and there was just kind of a oneness with all of humanity in that experience.
2: That is a beautiful analogy that you talk about, being on the horse and the moment that you guys as in you and the horse, is in synchronicity. It was effortless and you moving in the forward direction.
3: Yes, yeah. It's funny how sometimes it takes such a visceral experience (laughs)
2: to bring it all home. Right. Well, you were paying attention to the moment, and that's what spoke to you in terms of Mm -hmm. life is the rhythm, and when you get into the flow of it, then if it's heading in the right direction, there's no nervousness; it was just something that is extremely peaceful, and right. you can sense that sense of tranquillity from within, yeah, yeah, that's a very great
3: option I love that tranquility, <laughs> tranquility. very very that's interesting. a great word for it, yeah, from within we do we experience it from deep inside.
2: You're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. Our podcasts are available on Apple's iTunes, Stitcher's Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, and TuneIn Radio. My guest is Dr. Leona Stuckey. She is the author of The Falk of Truth, Surviving My Impotent God, her recently released spiritual memoir. A minister and psychotherapist for more than 30 years, Dr. Leona became an author by turning the mirror inward to reveal her own personal story of severe domestic abuse and surviving it. We are having a conversation about her life's journey and how the power of faith, hope, and love can overcome many life's challenges that will eventually lead you to become your best self. I'm your host, Johnny Tan. Dr. Leona, we talk about the sense of tranquility and so forth. In other words, it's a sense of peaceful confidence when did love started to contribute to your inner peace?
3: You know, I think it was from day one, Johnny, because mm-hmm. I I experienced my family as a loving family. You know that and that's not to say that it was an idyllic love at all. Mm-hmm. We had every challenge that every family has and in many ways there wasn't enough, um, I don't know what to say, but um, there wasn't enough of what we needed to keep us always, all of us going going into a way that would bring out our best selves. And I love what, what you say about, you know, your own mission of bringing out people's best self, because I think that's something that we all need. We need the attunement. We need the love and the care and the, the, um, the skills that help us move towards our best self. So I feel so blessed that I had a loving family and that periodically I could go back to my family, even when I lived far away and dip into that sense of love that was inside of me and i think that was in many ways always my deepest deepest desire though i wasn't always conscious of it was to be a good and loving good meant loving to me Mm -hmm. human being and so that's always been there um And there's still in my life today, um, sometimes I will do specific things that help me experience myself as a loving and lovable person. And um, one of them, this is kind of funny, because (laughs) it it goes all the way back to, um, you know, we talked about my experience as a Mennonite growing up on a farm right. in Kansas. And I think I also have a bit of the Kansas redneck in me. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it feels like there's, there's in some ways, those may not be congruent images. Right. But I have both in me. And to today, sometimes, I will go back and listen to the country music that I loved way back when. You know, mm-hmm. the Chris Christopherson, Willie Nelson kind of music. Yes. And um, and it just, I can feel a sense of the farm. And it brings those two sides of me together, the Mennonite side and the um, Kansas redneck side. And it's just <laughs> a f- hilarious experience in a way, but I noticed how much I like that. I like things that help me integrate myself as a loving person.
2: Very, very interesting. Why did you decide to write The Falk of Faith?
3: You know, my life experience, I think, has been in some ways very common to humanity and in some ways very different. And I felt like I had something of value to say. And after 30 years of doing psychotherapy and talking to all kinds of people all of the time, um, I felt like I wanted to be able to be helpful to people. Mm-hmm. And that maybe some of the things that I've learned through time would be helpful, but I didn't want to do it without telling a story that would put it in context, so I wanted to tell it as a story rather than as kind of a list of do this, don't do that, because without right. it being in context, I feel like that list is, is not adequate. So I wanted to put it in that context and that's what I tried to do is to tell that story and hope that through the story um, some kind of knowing would come through to the readers and I hear that from readers a lot you know they'll say you know I read your story I couldn't put it down and um, And so I just, you know, I went boom, 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 right through it, and yet it has stuck with me, and I keep thinking and rethinking and rethinking, Mm -hmm. because I think because I didn't want to just give easy answers. I wanted Mm -hmm. to talk about some of the dilemmas that life presents us, that's where we struggle. We struggle with dilemmas. And if we had easy answers, there wouldn't be a struggle in our lives. So I wanted to present people with the dilemmas that we actually live with. Mm -hmm. You know, how do we think about our faith if we have faith? How do we think about not having faith if we don't have faith? How do, we, how do we journey in this life? What is our longing about? And how do we find the meaning that we need to feel like life is worthwhile? And mm-hmm. what, will, what will help us to move through some of the dilemmas that we come up against? It's like we're beating our head against a wall sometimes because we can't get through this dilemma or that dilemma until we come up with this or that answer for ourselves and mm-hmm. it has to be our own we can't we can't take it from someone else and say oh you have this kind of faith well that's what I'm going to have mm-hmm. you know it's so interesting that sometimes we are um I'm going to say we have an entitled feeling. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And we believe, we think we're entitled to believe that whatever we believe is obviously true. But, you know, that comes from an entitlement that is not true.
1: Mm
3: -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's part of what I'm saying in my book, The Fog of Faith surviving an impotent God, is that there's a fog around our faith. Mm -hmm. And when the fog clears, we know a whole lot more about our faith than we do if we just kind of stay in that fog where we think we're entitled and whatever, you know, because we go to church we must be good people. We're we're right. entitled or because we have this belief it's gotta be true. No. You're not mm-hmm. good because you go to church. Your your belief is not true because you feel entitled to want it to be true. Right. No. Right. So much more to it. So much more to it. And we need to be we need to see the fog that we live in in mm-hmm. order to move to a deeper truer place in mm-hmm. our life because a spiritual journey that lets us just float along is not much of a journey at least that's my feeling it's mm-hmm. got to take us to a place where we really Look at reality and walk close to reality.
2: Your book speaks volumes about what you just said in terms of finding out and realizing that just because you go to church or just because you're on a certain track, you are deserving of things. Ultimately, it's your actions that causes another reaction and causes another action and so forth.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: that makes the difference. And most importantly, in addition to that, is the fact that regardless of how you experience things, faith in some ways is looking backwards. The most important thing is having hope because hope is looking forward.
3: Mhm. Yes. Hope is so important, and I think love. That is one place where... I love that Corinthian text the greatest the greatest of these is love mm-hmm. um, hope, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love and some some translations are charity, mm-hmm. and you know both I think both love and charity faith and hope are things that we hold on to right
1: um
3: Love is putting it all in action. right and um, right. and I just, you know, when you talk about looking back, I think you're so right, is we are deeply comforted and contented when we look back, at least I am, when mm-hmm. I look back and I see the places where I have been loving. And the places where I have failed myself in that hope, in that goal, um, I feel terrible. Mm -hmm. It's very hard on me.
2: Mm -hmm. Sure, true. Your story, to me, stands from a standpoint of faith comforts you. Hope, Mm -hmm. however, inspires you. Mm -hmm. And love, like you mentioned, truly empowers you to move forward. Yes.
3: Yeah. I like what you're saying about that empowerment. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah,
3: you are so right.
2: <laughs> Where can someone go to buy the Fork of Faith, get more information about you, and keep up with your latest happenings?
3: Well, I have a website, and it will take you to Amazon to, to buy it, but you can also... Um, you can also go, and the website is just um, thefogoffaith.com. You can also um, go to Amazon and look up Leona Stucky S-T-U-C-K-Y, there's no E in it, and, um, and find it, or look up The Fog of Faith, and you will find it, um, or you can go to your local bookstore, and if they don't have it in stock, then ask them to order it. They can easily order it. And so you can get it just about anywhere. But um, if, if you do go to your local bookstore, you may, you might have to wait a, a day or two um, to, to get them but to order it. But you can also call them and ask them to order it for you. So there's lots of ways to get it. And I want to invite people to stay in touch with me. You can say, you can contact me through the website. And uh, I am very, very glad to hear your responses to The Fog of Faith when you read it, because you're going to have responses. And uh, it's not something that you can read and just set aside and it, you know, it. It's going to really engage you as a human <laughs> being. Yes, so yes. Feel free to write to me about your responses, and I will do my best to get back to um, as many of you as I can. And, um, and the other thing is that I will be starting an interview um, podcast. I'm not sure where I'll, I'll have it yet, but it will certainly be on my website where I will be interviewing ministers. And um, I think that will be a fascinating conversation with ministers. Um, So many of us have strong ideas what we want and expect our ministers to be. And -hmm. ministers are real human beings also, but we often don't see that, the real (laughs) and the humanness of who they are. So I hope to... Kind of bring together what our ideas about ministry and ministers and who are ministers really, and um, mm-hmm. and be able to um, share some some real stories around that.
2: Wonderful. By the way, we're coming close to the end of the hour. Since our show is about people, family, and living life, what would you like to share as a recipe for living for our listeners this morning?
3: Okay. Um, I would like to say that walking in love and walking close as close to reality as we can be is a profound way to live life, and um, that takes a spiritual journey. It takes constant searching, and it takes incredible, to use your words, Johnny, empowerment Mm -hmm. To love well from the best of ourselves. And that means to journey into the best of ourselves the best way that we can. And so there's a lot of caregiving of ourselves and others in that recipe.
2: So true. That's a beautiful recipe. One last question. How has composing the fork of faith impacted you personally?
3: Oh, that's a good question. (laughs) (laughs) I think it has given me freedom. And I'm so pleased. I feel so fortunate to feel the freedom that I now feel because Mm -hmm. I've said what I needed to say. And I don't have to... I don't have to... feel this urgency to say that. I feel like the biggest, one of the biggest challenges of my life has been met. And now I have freedom to live Mm -hmm. my life.
2: That's beautiful. That's so true. Dr. Leona, thank you for the wonderful recipe for living and for spending this hour with me on From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. To all our listeners, please join me next Tuesday morning January the 23rd, my guest will be Diana Liz Gallo. She's the founder of Rejuvenating Lifestyle and Dance. Diana and I will be having a conversation about how you can use simple yet effective ways to rejuvenate yourself in this new year to become the new you. For additional information about this show and future shows, please go to fmmktalkradio.com Thank you for listening, and have a blessed week. Dr. Leona, it has been a true pleasure. Thank you again, and have a blessed day.
3: Oh, thank you, Johnny. It has been a pleasure for me, (laughs) and blessings to you and all your listeners.
2: Thank you so much. Bye-bye.
0: This is New York firefighter Raphael Porriette for Firehouse Subs. Every day, a part of every sub you buy at Firehouse Subs helps provide life-saving equipment for first responders. And now, for a limited time, they're introducing the daily sub special. Every day, get a medium sub of the day for just $5.55. They kick it off with Meatball Monday and finish it off with Italian Sunday with something delicious every day in between for just $5.55. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Tap the banner now to learn more. This is New York firefighter Raphael Porriette for Firehouse Subs. Every day, a part of every sub you buy at Firehouse Subs helps provide life-saving equipment for first responders. And now, for a limited time, they're introducing the daily sub special. Every day, get a medium sub of the day for just $5.55. They kick it off with Meatball Monday and finish it off with Italian Sunday with something delicious every day in between for just $5.55. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Tap the banner now to learn more.